Hey, welcome back to the virtual sponsorship series. Today's video will be the eighth segment of this series, and we are going to go over the second half of more about alcoholism. Uh, we're going to start off on page 37 towards the bottom where we left off in the last video. Um, our behavior is as absurd and incomprehensible with respect to the first drink as that of an individual with a passion, say, for jaywalking. He gets a thrill out of skipping in front of a fast-moving vehicles. He enjoys himself for a few years in spite of friendly warnings. Up to this point, you would label him as a foolish chap having queer ideas of fun. Luck then deserts him, and he is slightly injured several times in succession. You would expect him, if he were normal, to cut it out. Presently, he is hit again, and this time has a fractured skull. Within a week after leaving the hospital, a fast-moving trolley car breaks his arm. He tells you he has decided to stop jaywalking for good, but in a few weeks, he breaks both legs. So this example that they're doing here of the jaywalker, you know, this guy gets um, addicted to, like, walking across the busy road while traffic is coming, um... You know, when you draw the parallel between this strange example and our alcoholism, it makes complete sense. Early on in our drinking careers, when we get um, consequences, you know, a lot of people will look at us like, hey, you should probably like take a look at that. Um, and uh, we just keep doing the same thing over and over again. Um, I can recall the first time I got in trouble with the law. Some of my friends saw me drinking the very next day and they like they were shocked. They were genuinely shocked. They said, you know, do you really think you should be doing that right now? And I looked at them like they were crazy. You know, I was like, are you kidding me? I just got arrested last night. Like, I need a drink to cope with this. And, um, you know, it was a very early sign that I was abnormal and in, in when it came to drinking. On through the years, this conduct continues. Accompanied by his continual promises to be careful or to keep off the streets altogether. Finally, he can no longer work. His wife gets a divorce and he is held up to ridicule. He tries every known means to get the jaywalking idea out of his head. He shuts himself up in an asylum, hoping to mend his ways. But the day he comes out, he races in front of a fire engine, which breaks his back. Such a man would be crazy, wouldn't he? So this part, they're talking about the firm resolutions that we went over in the doctor's opinion. You know, when we come out on the other side of the consequences that are sure to come from our drinking, we make a firm resolution where we, you know, tell anybody who will listen that, you know, this time we're really seriously done. Um, and although that that statement may be true in the moment. Um, very quickly, we realize that that's a cash that uh, a check that we cannot cash, and so we end up doing the same thing over and over again. And eventually, we stop being able to to function in society. You know, there's a, a very popular term, a functioning alcoholic. Um, if you're a real deal alcoholic, you may be a functioning alcoholic for for quite some time. But eventually, as as you progress it eventually will get to a place where you will no longer even be able to function. You won't be able to hold a job and you'll be in and out of the hospital, just like the jaywalker. 
You may think our illustration is too ridiculous, but is it? We who have been through the ringer have to admit if we have substituted alcoholism for jaywalking, the illustration would fit us exactly. However intelligent we may have been in other respects where alcohol has been involved, we have been strangely insane. It's strong language, but isn't it true? So in the last paragraph, he, he said a man would be crazy. And they're referring to a man like us, like alcoholics. And now they're saying insane. Um, throughout these few pages that we're about to read, they're going to use verbiage like this over and over again. Crazy, insane. I think they even used the word brain damaged at one point. Um, it's a little harsh, but it's the truth. Uh, and they're really trying to drive home this point that we are not normal um, because you know, everybody who makes their start in AA usually goes, puts a fair amount of effort in trying to rationalize why they do the things that they do and why they are the way that they are. Um, and so this is really just trying to like, you know, snuff out any last flame of hope that we may have left that we could be possibly normal. Some of you are thinking, yes, what you tell us is true, but it doesn't fully apply. We admit we have some of these symptoms, but we have not gone to the extremes you fellows did, nor are we likely to. For if we understand ourselves so well after what you have told us that such things cannot happen again, we have not lost everything in life through drinking, and we certainly do not intend to. Thanks for the information. That may be true of certain non-alcoholic people who though drinking foolishly and heavily at the present time, are able to stop or moderate because their brains and bodies have not been damaged as ours were. But the actual or potential alcoholic with hardly an exception will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. This is a point we wish to emphasize and re-emphasize to smash home upon our alcoholic readers and it has been revealed to us out of bitter experience. Let us take another illustration. So there's the, the brain damage part I just mentioned. The uh, Our brains and bodies have been damaged, right? Um, and this, this idea that we are unable to stop drinking on a basis of self-knowledge. You say that you want to emphasize it and re-emphasize it. And anybody who's been following this series can attest that this is something that we have emphasized and re-emphasized because it came up in the doctor's opinion. It came up in Bill's story, came up in there's a solution, and now here we are, chapter three. So it's been mentioned in every chapter, and that's because it's very, very important. Um, alcoholics have an ego, you know, um, and we tend to have this mind state that we think we know better and that we're clever enough to, uh, you know, be slick and try to, like, live outside of the rules that apply to everybody else. And, um, you know, we get all this really good, useful information in AA or in treatment or wherever you might have attained it about the disease of alcoholism. And, and from my experience, I don't see too many people that argue about the, the disease itself. It's usually when we start to talk about the spiritual solution that people really start to have a lot of trouble because you start to get closed-minded um, and so, you know, they think that they can do all the study of the problem and then not, not 
have to do any sort of spiritual solution afterwards thinking that like if they knew knew the way their mind worked and they knew enough about alcoholism they could apply that in their life um therefore being you know all the wiser and uh being able to uh outsmart alcohol if you will but in the last chapter uh or in the last video we talked about those uh strange mental blank spots that you know we can't bring to recollection all this great self-knowledge that we may have attained. And uh, in those strange blank spots is where these relapses, you know, tend to happen. So it's like everything you know just sort of goes out the window and in the heat of the moment, you know, you you make the you make the wrong choice and then you just open up that whole can of worms. And that's like I think the really, really devastating thing about alcoholism is you know, you can win 99 times out of 100, but it only needs to win that one time and it's got you in its grasp, you know, because that, that phenomenon of craving, that allergy kicks in and and then you're off to the races and then it's it's kind of in God's hands, you know, when you might end up, you know, coming back and trying to give recovery a second chance. Some people never make it back, you know, some people die. Um, but one thing I've learned through bitter experiences you know, you can't use AA in 12 steps like you would like an Advil if you had a headache, you know, it's not like, oh, I'm gonna have me, you know, I got a little relapse happening, you know, let me just pop into AA and get sober real quick. Like, no, like, when you open up that can of worms and start drinking, it's like completely outside of your ability to to choose when you get to stop, you know, that's kind of an, uh, that's really just up to fate, if you're lucky enough to make it back. Fred is a partner in a well-known accounting firm. His income is good, he has a fine home, is happily married, and the father of promising children of college age. He has so attractive a personality that he makes friends with everyone. If ever there was a successful businessman, it is Fred. To all appearance, he is a stable, well-balanced individual. Yet, he is alcoholic. We first saw Fred about a year ago in a hospital where he had gone to recover from a bad case of jitters. It was his first experience of this kind, and he was much ashamed of it. Far from admitting he was an alcoholic, he told himself he came to the hospital to rest his nerves. The doctor intimated strongly that he might be worse than he realized. For a few days, he was depressed about his condition. He made up his mind to quit drinking altogether. It never occurred to him that perhaps he could not do so. In spite of his character and standing, Fred would not believe himself an alcoholic, much less a spiritual remedy for his problem. We told him what we knew about alcoholism. He was interested and conceded that he had some of the symptoms, but he was a long way from admitting that he could do nothing about it himself. He was positive that this humiliating experience, plus the knowledge he had acquired, would keep him sober for the rest of his life. Self-knowledge would fix it. So here's a perfect example of this this point that they want to emphasize and reemphasize. This guy is going to try to get sober on self-knowledge. So he's alcoholic. He ends up in the hospital for his drinking. Um, That's a pretty good sign that you're an alcoholic if you end up in the hospital from your drinking, by the way. That usually doesn't happen to non-alcoholic people. Um, 
but he ends up in the hospital and AA, uh, the, you know, the 12 steppers come and the, you know, they're trying to 12 step them and they give them, give them the old step one speech. And, um, you know, they paint this picture of Fred of being like a really successful, normal guy. So, you know, if there was ever a person that had, you know, maybe some, some real justification in thinking that they're pretty capable, you know, it would probably be Fred. And, um, you know, the, he was pretty depressed about his his um, his uh, situation being in the hospital and everything. So he listened to what they had to say, and he could identify with some of it. But you know, he's not he's not ready to make any like radical changes. You know that they're they're talking about, and so he goes forth and tries to uh, stay sober uh, on the self knowledge. So we'll see what happens. We heard no more of Fred for a while. One day we were told that he was back in the hospital. This time he was quite shaky. He soon indicated he was anxious to see us. The story he told is most instructive. For here was a chap absolutely convinced he had to stop drinking, who had no excuse for drinking, who exhibited splendid judgment and determination in all his other concerns yet was flat on his back nevertheless. Let him tell you about it. I was much impressed with what you fellows said about alcoholism, and I frankly did not believe it would be possible for me to drink again. I rather appreciated your ideas about the subtle insanity which precedes the first drink, but I was confident it could not happen to me after what I had learned. I reasoned I was not so far advanced as most of you fellows that I had been usually successful in licking my other personal problems, and that I would therefore be successful where you men failed. I felt I had every right to be self-confident, that it would be only a matter of exercising my willpower and keeping on guard. So, he ends up back in the hospital, and they come back to him and ask him, well, are you licked yet? And, um, you know, this is kind of like a classic story of, uh, you know, doing a step one and not following up with the step two, three, and, and on through the rest of the 12, you know, knowing the problem is, is only half the battle. Um, and without step two, you know, you, you kind of are just doomed to repeat that cycle. Or another way to put this would be, if you don't believe you need a spiritual solution, then you're not going to put in any of the necessary work to relieve yourself of the problem that you are admitting to in step one. In this frame of mind, I went about my business and for a time all was well. I had no trouble refusing drinks and began to wonder if I had been making too hard work of a simple matter. One day I went to Washington to present some accounting evidence to a government bureau. I had been out of town before during this particular dry spell, so there was nothing new about that. Physically, I felt fine. Neither did I have any pressing problems or worries. My business came off well. I was pleased and knew my partners would be too. It was the end of a perfect day, not a cloud on the horizon." So this is the situation he was in like right before this relapse that he's about to talk about. And they are at great pains to explain that 
nothing out of the ordinary was happening for this guy. Um, and if you recall some of the other examples that we read in some of the other chapters, they have a tendency to do this. Um, I think the reason why they do this is because the the know full well the tendency um, a closed-minded alcoholic might have to try to rationalize um, a, a way out of believing what they're hearing. And so somebody, with, you might say, well, oh, well, if he didn't make that trip, he probably would have been able to maintain his sobriety. But but that's not the case. And, and you know, I think one of the benefits of having uh, relapsed a couple times is that I've had, like, multiple experiences um, with trying to get sober. And so, of course, in the beginning, I had the, uh, the attempt of, like, staying sober on self-knowledge and it's a uh, it's uh dangerous because you end up get, being sober sometimes for a short period of time and sometimes that short period could be a month or two or even more you know and and so like when you have that experience under your belt you very quickly take that as proof that like hey look I'm doing this without that AA stuff you know those guys don't know what they're talking about um but then the problem is before too long you end up back in the hospital just like Jim or Fred, I'm sorry. I went to my hotel and leisurely dressed for dinner. As I crossed the threshold of the dining room, the thought came to my mind that I would be nice to have a couple of cocktails with dinner. That was all, nothing more. I ordered a cocktail and my meal. Then I ordered another cocktail. After dinner, I decided to take a walk. When I returned to the hotel, it struck me a highball would be fine before going to bed, so I stepped into the bar and had one. I remember having several more that night and plenty next morning. I have a shadowy recollection of being in an airplane bound for New York and of finding a friendly taxicab driver at the landing field instead of my wife. The driver escorted me about for several days. I know little of where I went or what I said and did. Then came the hospital with unbearable mental and physical suffering. So that's literally all it took. So the the come in to the hospital the first time and the educate him about alcoholism and, and give him all this information. And so he fares forth with high hope that now that he knows all about alcoholism, that he can avoid the pitfalls and the triggers that might lead him back to a drink. And so he goes about his business as normal. He's doing relatively well. And then one day, out of nowhere, nothing is going on. Perfect day. Boom. He just has that, like, simple thought. Oh, you know, I would like uh, a couple of drinks with dinner. That would be good. And he just acts on this crazy thought, you know. Where's the self-knowledge there? Where is it? There's no second thought. He doesn't even think, like, oh, but I probably shouldn't because I'm an alcoholic and I have an allergy, blah, 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 blah. And then he has a cocktail with dinner and then immediately it's just like, hmm, that was nice. Maybe I should have some more. And then it's a highball before going to bed or maybe an eight ball the next morning, you know. And uh, you could tell this guy's successful because he lands in New York and then he hires a taxi driver to drive him around for days. I can only imagine how much that cost him. As soon as I regain my ability to think, I went carefully over the evening in Washington. Not only had I been off guard, I had made no fight whatever against the first drink. This time, I had not thought of the consequences at all. 
I had commenced to drink as carelessly as though the cocktails were ginger ale. I now remembered what my alcoholic friends had told me, how they prophesied that if I had an alcoholic mind, the time and the place would come, I would drink again. They had said that though I did raise a defense, it would one day give way before some trivial reason for having a drink. Well, that just did happen and more, for what I had learned of alcoholism did not occur to me at all. I knew from that moment that I had an alcoholic mind. I saw that willpower and self-knowledge could not, would not help in those strange mental blank spots. I had never been able to understand people who said that a problem had them hopelessly defeated. I knew then it was a crushing blow. So Fred has this experience where he's, he gets caught completely off guard and makes no fight whatsoever against the thought, the insane thought of that first drink. And this is his real step one moment here. Because there's a big difference um, between accepting the fact that you can't drink like a normal person and accepting the fact that you are defenseless against the first drink. And I think that's the two major parts of step one. You know, we, we, our bodies are unable to process alcohol. You know, that's the allergy. We, we can't drink like other people. But then there's the other part, the mental obsession part, like we are without a defense against the first drink. And it's only until we accept that fully in all its implications that we've really managed to like start to, to be able to do step one successfully. And then only then can we continue the process that happens in the 12, 12 steps by accepting a solution. Two of the members of Alcoholics Anonymous came to see me. They grinned, which I didn't like so much, and then asked me if I thought myself alcoholic and if I were really licked this time. I had to concede both propositions. They piled on me heaps of evidence to the effect that an alcoholic mentality such as I had exhibited in Washington was a hopeless condition. They cited cases of their own experience by the dozen. This process snuffed out the last flicker of conviction that I could do the job myself. So I think when the members of Alcoholics Anonymous come to see him in the hospital and they're grinning, uh, I think they're grinning because they knew that they were going to see him again. You know, because the first time they could clearly see that this man was alcoholic, but like we said in some of the earlier chapters, it's a self-diagnosis, so they're not going to force it upon anybody. But, you know, he's, he thanks them for their time and, and says no thank you and goes about his business saying that he'll fare better next time. And, uh, you know, they knew in their heart of hearts that they were going to see this guy again in the hospital because they are just like him, you know. And then they, they share the same types of stories, the same type of experiences with him. And he starts to finally identify with them instead of trying to make comparisons and separate himself and like how he could do better than them. Then they outlined the spiritual answer and program of action which a hundred of them had followed successfully. Though I had been only a nominal churchman, their proposals were not intellectually hard to swallow. But the program of action, though entirely sensible, was pretty drastic, 
It meant I would have to throw several lifelong conceptions out of the window. That was not easy. But the moment I made up my mind to go through with the process, I had the curious feeling that my alcoholic condition was relieved, as in fact it proved to be. So he basically completes his first step here once he finally identifies with them and gives up his fight. He concedes to his innermost self that he's alcoholic. And so then the outline the spiritual answer. The outline the 12 steps for him. So they lay out the, the program and he decides that he's gonna he's gonna go through with it. And that's the that's basically the action part of step two. You know, in step two it says we came to believe in a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Um, you know, a lot of that is not active, that's a passive thing, you know, just coming to believe that's happening inside your head. But if you're really if you're really coming to believe that there is a solution and that solution lies within the 12 steps because that's another way to word step 2 if you come to believe that there is a solution in the steps then you know you need to start to make preparations to take those steps um, in order to seek the solution and sure enough you know he says once he accepted these drastic proposals like they are kind of hard to accept because we have to throw out some lifelong conceptions and that's never a fun thing because you know our thought processes and our ideas they're all like interconnected with each other you know so like if one idea one central core idea doesn't work then all the other ideas that are attached to that one now have to be gone gone over with like a fine tooth comb and you know you have to kind of sort out the bad from the good. Um, one of the best things that I ever had a sponsor say to me was he goes, hey, there's a good chance that you might have some good ideas. But there's also a very good chance that you have some ideas floating around in your head that will kill you. So what I'm asking you to do is just temporarily suspend all your ideas and let's get together and let's go through them and get rid of the ones that are really dangerous that might kill you. And then once we're done with that process, then you can, you know, go back to to uh, trusting your, your thinking a little bit more. Not that I think an alcoholic should ever trust their thinking completely because otherwise, you know, well, you know, you wouldn't see so many people relapse when they go sponsorless. So we do still need to have somebody to run our ideas past, but... Quite as important was the discovery that spiritual principles would solve all my problems. I have since been brought into a way of living infinitely more satisfying and, I hope, more useful than the life I lived before. My old manner of life was by no means a bad one, but I would not exchange its best moments for the worst I have now. I would not go back to it even if I could. Fred's story speaks of itself. We hope it strikes home to thousands like him. He had felt only the first nip of the ringer. Most alcoholics have to be pretty badly mangled before they really commence to solve their problems. So one thing I want to note here is that first line. It says, spiritual principles would solve all my problems. It doesn't say his drinking problem. And um, if you really dive into the 12 steps, I think that... that 
you'll find that it's really when it comes to its practical application in life, it's very little to do with drinking because we've left the drinking behind when we're starting the process of doing the 12 steps. And so it's how are we living our life? You know, how does, how do we apply this in the 24 hours, uh, one day at a time? And these spiritual principles are how we solve the, the problems that pop up in day to day life. Because it's these very problems, sometimes these seem insignificant and meaningless, but they build up over time and you get so much pressure and you get so angsty and frustrated and eventually you can even get miserable. And then next thing you know, it's like you're you're back in the bar, back you know on the block and you're wondering how it all happened. And so when we apply these spiritual principles in our life, we, we start to overcome these problems as they're coming in and we, we get to live a little bit more free with more peace of mind. And, you know, the, the drink isn't as tempting anymore. And not only that, but, it, you know, he goes on to talk about how his life becomes infinitely more satisfying and that he wouldn't go back to it even if he could. And so... One of the things I, I like that I've heard before is, you know, build a life that is so beautiful that you're not willing to sacrifice it for a drink or a drug, you know, and I think that's what he's getting at here is he's built this beautiful life in recovery that's so good and he gets so much satisfaction out of it that if he came out with a, a cure for the alcohol allergy to alcohol tomorrow, like a pill that could make you drink like a gentleman, he wouldn't even bother taking it because... He does not have the desire to drink anymore. It's not that he's just like skating by, you know, like, oh, I'm glad I'm not drinking, but this sure sucks. You know, like he's he's living a better life that has some meaning. Many doctors and psychiatrists agree with our conclusions. One of these men, staff member of a world-renowned hospital, recently made this statement to some of us. What you say about the general hopelessness of the average alcoholic's plight is, in my opinion, correct. As to two of you men whose stories I have heard, there is no doubt in my mind that you were 100% hopeless apart from divine help. Had you offered yourself as patients at this hospital, I would not have taken you, if I had been able to avoid it. People like you are too heartbreaking. Though not a religious person... I have profound respect for the spiritual approach in such cases as yours. For most cases, there is virtually no other solution. So this, of course, is Dr. Silkworth, again, from the doctor's opinion. And he's just confirming what they've been saying all along in these past few chapters. So they're putting a, 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 a medical degree behind their statement here. And... Basically, he says that, you know, he has respect for the spiritual approach, but he's not a spiritual man himself, so he doesn't have much else to say on it. But one of the things that he is qualified to say is that for a lot of us, there's virtually no other solution. And there's something to be said that, like, in today's day and age, you know, there's a lot of other, you know, holistic approaches to alcoholism. And so there's a lot more variety than there used to be, especially when this book was being written. But nothing is as tried and true as AA in the 12 Steps. Um, 
I'm not saying that it's the only way, but it's definitely the most uh, tried and true effective way. Once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against the first drink. Except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. So that's like the essence of what we've gone over in the past few chapters up to this point. You know, it's the essence of steps one and two. You know, that we're alcoholic and we have no defense against the first drink. And step two, we must find a defense within a higher power. You know, and so this this sets us up perfectly to go into we agnostics where we're really going to start to talk more about the spiritual solution. Um, we agnostics is going to like start to disarm some of these prejudices and some of this closed mindedness that we have when it comes towards spiritual concepts. And it's a really great chapter. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to the next video. Um, but that'll do it for more about alcoholism. I've had a great time making this video. I hope you guys enjoyed it and, uh, make sure to look out for, uh, we agnostics. Um, it'll be coming soon. Um, you could always subscribe if you want to keep, uh, in the loop and catch these videos as they're coming out. Um, but in the meantime, take care of yourself. God bless.